welcome to the Enter Player 2 podcast. I'm Nicole McFall and I'm joined by Player 2, Carl Murray. We discuss anything and everything about the world of games. Our show features deep dive discussions where we answer the questions that have all been on our minds, as well as that, we're going to go head to head in the Game of the Week showdown. Today we are going to discuss the streaming platform Twitch and take a deep dive to see what made the platform so popular. It's been a very exciting week or two in the streaming world. Dr. Disrespect has returned and is now full-time on YouTube, Shroud has came back home to Twitch, and it's funny how the two big streamers can't actually play together anymore. I know it's terrible. Is it because Dr. Disrespect has a big ban hammer on him? Yeah, so Dr. Disrespect has been banned from Twitch. Um, one of the policies is if you're banned from Twitch, uh, somebody else cannot stream with you. So if Doc and Shroud jumped on Discord, decided to hop into a game of Valorant, because Doc is banned technically and he's now back on the f- platform in you know Shroud's stream, then Shroud would get in big trouble. And he doesn't want that considering he's just back to the platform. That's crazy though when you think about it because really those guys were pals and they really did support each other in terms of sort of developing that audience and I think they enjoyed the collaboration a lot of the ones on Twitch so it's a bit disappointing but I suppose it's good in Shroud's part because whilst Dr. Disrespect hasn't been doing too well with Twitch, Shroud has really been able to monopolise the situation and get back to where he basically left off, isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. And it's funny how the last stream that Shroud did, he actually played with Ninja. I don't think that Ninja was actually streaming, but it's funny how Ninja is now playing YouTube and Twitch off each other and being like, look, who's going to give me the biggest deal here? <laughs> well, sure, you know, the when they have big names like that, you really just have to play the cards right, is that right? Exactly. And it's going to be very interesting to see where Ninja ends up at the very end of this. One of the things I want to say is that Shroud has actually climbed up back into the top 10 most subscribed channels on Twitch. And at the time of this recording, he's only been back two or three days, which is absolutely phenomenal. It makes sense, to be honest with you. He's a very popular streamer, and whilst he might have went to Mixer, his fo- following would have still been in Twitch. So, Comeback of the Century is probably an understatement at this point. With over near half a million concurrent viewers, it's safe to say that Shroud is back, and he's back here to stay. But I have a quick question for you, Nicole. I remember how I got into watching people live stream on Twitch and I remember the first streamer that I actually really got into. Do you remember who you first watched on Twitch? Yeah, I actually do remember the first streamer that I watched on Twitch. So I, the first streamer I watched was Carcinogen SDA. And I remember the reason why I started watching it is because my brother encouraged me to. He was doing a speed run. I think it was of uh, Resident Evil 3 or Resident Evil 2. And he was doing a speed run and he was trying to beat the Guinness World Record. And it was quite... A, it was quite enjoyable just to watch people sort of cheer him on and speed run and the way he was hacking and glitching the game as well as that. Um, we were watching the clock and being sure that he actually beat the record. He did. And it was really exciting. I really enjoyed that Twitch was a platform where I can engage. I could send out my message. I could see it up on the TV. I felt like I was part of the experience. And that's probably my first introduction to Twitch. And then it followed on naturally with other games that I was really interested in. I actually watched a lot of the stuff that you produced on it, but we'll not mention that tweet cheeky plug. Um, but I do enjoy supporting my favourite streamers. Oh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Uh, the first streamer that I really got into was Brown Man, otherwise known as Ray Narvaez Jr. now on Twitch. Whenever he made the transition from Rooster Teeth to streaming, he was the first person that I 
really got into. It was him, and then it was I Ate Your Pie. But I wouldn't really get back into I Ate Your Pie for four or five years. I followed him, and then I think it was just by coincidence I was looking for a Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time randomizer, and I fell down the rabbit hole, and I found his channel, and I was like, oh, I'm already uh, following him. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Ares Jr. is a really good streamer. Like, obviously, he was heavily involved in different brands and different entertainment with the gaming world. But as a solo artist in Twitch, he's done fantastically well. He's a good, good, got a good following and he engages really well. Like you saw how excited I was the two or three times that he actually mentioned my handle, which is little underslash Nico. And he was like, oh, thanks for the follow, little Nico and all this. And I just loved the fact that he was able to acknowledge the little small peeps to help him along the way. He's a really good streamer and I would encourage you to watch him because he's so funny. Yeah, he's kind of taken that personality that he had at Rooster Teeth and transferred it back over to streaming. And I know he's been doing it for about four or five years now. So that kind of shows you where I really came in to watch Ray. I think it was my final year of school I really got into him. And then during my whole university career, he was always on the background. He always kept me company while I was making notes late at night. And I get the chance to watch him every now and then on the weekend. Yeah, substreams are really good. Um, You also watch Sips, don't you? Yeah, Sips from the Game Grumps. I've really just yeah, he's good. I've really gotten into him <laughs> recently. So I love uh, watching him play Fall Guys. He played Death Stranding recently and Hitman. Oh, there's so much I could go on to talk about Sips. <laughs> he's he's an old man, but uh, he provides brilliant entertainment. We kind of talked about our first ever streamers there, but these streamers weren't really around whenever Twitch first began. It was created in June 2011 as a gaming category on the site otherwise known as justin.tv from there it kind of gained popularity and eventually received a lot of investment to improve the site and justin.tv was eventually renamed twitch interactive at some point and twitch became this monster of a platform did you ever watch twitch when it was justin.tv i am overwhelmed with this history lesson i didn't even know it was called justin tv i'm a bit of a relative newbie i only got into it about five years ago maybe six so i wasn't there in its og era were you no, I wasn't really there in its OGR since it was around 2011 whenever it was created. I think I really came into the fold. I think it was early 2014. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Six years ago as well, on the dot. Yeah, exactly. And I was there. I've been able to watch the platform grow. And it's been interesting, the fact that it got taken over by Amazon. And Amazon have really implemented so many features and tried to improve the platform overall as a whole. If you think about it realistically, watching people stream or playing video games was always going to be something that some of you would probably, you know, conceptualize because as a backseat gamer, as someone who's watched my brothers play it or um, enjoy those games, it's just a really um, unique experience that probably would have been caught up somewhere along the line, especially with esports in the background as well. Whenever we talk about the growth of Twitch, it's hard not to talk about esports alongside it. Esports have been around since the early 2000s, and there used to be dedicated TV channels for gaming where these events were televised. The German GIGA television covered esports until it shut down in 2009. The United Kingdom satellite television channel XLeague.tv broadcast esports competitions from 2007 to 2009. ESPN hosted Madden NFL competitions in a show called Madden Nation from 2005 to 2008. While outlets showing esports declined, the popularity and prize money began to rise. Esports have found a permanent home on Twitch. Instead of having to go to a tournament, viewers are able to watch the gameplay live in real time with commentary, and Twitch really helped to make gaming a spectator sport. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oh, definitely. Um, honestly, like for somebody who lives in the United Kingdom, those sort of esports gaming tournaments, a lot of them are take place in the likes of America. So being able to watch them in a one-stop shop platform is really exciting. And whenever you talk about esports there, before the conception of uh, Twitch in 2011, it really shows that there was a following to begin with and they really just needed a platform to be able to express their interests. As games have come and go, esports have really been a staple in some of those multiplayer first-person shooters. For example, Counter-Strike uh, 1.6 was massive, and then whenever Counter-Strike Global Offensive came along, it had taken a brand new life and had massive tournaments, and you've seen all these new players coming out. I remember distinctly uh, whenever I first started watching esports in my first year of university, I went to a lecture and the major was on and there actually was a guy at the very front row who was watching the, <laughs> the, the broadcast live. So I made sure to sit behind him so I could keep in in the action. I think uh, some of the esports I've actually followed is you know, Halo esports. So, you know, I'm a massive Halo fan. I've played Halo 2, 3 and all of the following titles after that. And as a big fan of Red versus Blue, I was sort of like stuck in that sort of corner of fandom and it only made sense to watch mostly Halo 3 be streamed. So I really enjoy and still watch the Halo esports. I think we all had an entry into the esports um, realm, but um, it sort of just opened different avenues of entertainment when it comes to streaming, especially whenever there's aspects where streamers can collaborate, you know, playing with each other, uh, doing a solo sort of stream or actually, you know, streaming events that's really interesting too that hear their commentary their perspectives on things it's almost like what podcasters do in a way it's funny because two of the biggest streamers on twitch formerly were esports stars you know shroud used to play counter-strike and ninja used to play a competitive halo i actually remember watching a documentary about ninja playing halo it was really interesting but it's very interesting that they came from an esports background i obviously know what it is that people enjoy about gaming but they're able to collaborate with each other network with each other and develop a brand behind it that makes it a little bit more entertaining to people who aren't just competitive and casual gamers it's very funny because there's a lot of rumors swirling around as to whether shroud was actually going to go back to the pro scene and get engaged in esports and form an esports valorant team but it's safe to say since he's came back to twitch and streaming full-time that he's definitely not going back down that avenue would you be interested in seeing him go back as an esports star or do you prefer him as a streamer I think I prefer him as a streamer. Whenever you kind of look at the esports sort of scene, there's a lot of practice, there's a lot of time that it takes, and there's a lot of dedication. So people might be out there practicing on stream, trying to you know get into scrums or playing with teammates or trying to form a team. But it's very hard, I think, to try and practice, but also entertain at the same time. No, I understand you completely. It's about more about having that competitive edge and being sort of strategic as opposed to sort of shining with your personality, which is what you really buy into. Yeah, and Twitch kind of did something that no other platform was doing at the time. You were saying there about gauging with your audience. Uh, you're allowing real-time interaction between a content creator and their audience. You can watch it live. It's unscripted. It's not perfect, but that's the beauty of it. And Competing video game services such as YouTube and Dailymotion have tried to increase their prominence of their gaming content to try and compete with Twitch, but to this day, they have not had that big an impact that Twitch has had. So what do you think that kind of makes Twitch work, Nicole? And what did this platform do that the likes of Mixer and YouTube didn't? Well, whenever I look at Mixer and YouTube, I still kind of consider them foundlings. 
Twitch is kind of the OG. It's the person who stepped in that direction before they sort of jumped on the bandwagon. And I think Twitch has really interesting features. Obviously, collaborating with Amazon and, and the richest man on the earth has its perks in terms of being able to, you know, provide extra content, you know, access codes to free games, you know, different sort of DLC packs. Like there's interesting perks to somebody who is a Twitch follower. But beyond that, being able to sort of contribute with the likes of customizable badges and being able to do widgets and tips and become uh, subscribers for a long time in the chat logs. I know as a casual observer and somebody who probably watched streams more than actually broadcast them themselves, I find it a more interactive experience for the viewer. And I also find the options that are made available for the affiliate, for the partners. Um, there's a lot of support from on the Twitch perspective. There's a lot of different uh, apps that you can integrate that make your sort of broadcast interesting, different or diverse. And I know the esports tournaments is really prominent in the homepage. So being able to sort of find it there um, makes it kind of like the one-stop shop. It's reliable. I know what it has. Whilst with Mixer and YouTube, I'm still awaiting what it's going to bring to the game. What about you? I think the whole Twitch Prime element is very interesting. The fact when Amazon actually bought over Twitch, they were like, okay, you're an Amazon subscriber, you're Amazon Prime, so here's Twitch Prime as well. It kind of encourages Amazon users to engage with Twitch so they can support a creator. And the fact that they've implemented and tried to improve the platform over time kind of speaks a lot of volume. They introduced bits, they introduced um, archive streams, and also auto mod. So those are things that made the streamer's job a lot easier. They could make more money. You could throw bits, you know, they only cost maybe two, three pound, and you can share out as many bits across, you know, streamers that you want. And the fact is like, right, okay, I'm working a nine to five job, or I'm in a different time zone than one of my favorite streamers, but it's okay because I can actually go and watch their archive streams afterwards. There's clips that I can watch. And the streamer, for example, who's trying to focus on the game, doesn't really have to pay attention much to chat because AutoMod is going to get rid of anybody who's racist or sexist or, you know, being just a, a bad person there in general. So that makes everything a lot more streamlined. It's easier to get into streaming. And I think the second thing that I really think that makes Twitch work is the fact that it has a great community. And this has tried to be showcased at TwitchCon. I don't think there's many conventions. Well, obviously, rest in peace, Mixer's gone now. But I didn't really think there was very many conventions that sort of worked on the following and made it bigger than just a platform. Um, I know YouTube is a massive label and it's owned by Google. Um, but YouTube and even the likes of Facebook are relatively new to the game. And... I reckon there's going to be a lot of transition. I understand that. But in terms of Mixer and YouTube, um, I just can't really get on board as of yet. Uh, I know that a few of my colleagues, uh, or friends rather, are, are streaming via Facebook. And it's pretty good in terms of getting you know casual social media. But that's mostly your friends. You don't get the odd stranger that just finds, browses a category and finds your stream just by, by chance and staying around. I've never really interacted with Facebook, so I can't really talk on that side. But I understand that YouTube is trying to kind of implement that. So you subscribe to somebody because you like their videos, and then, you know, there's a certain threshold you actually have to hit before you start live streaming. I think it's a thousand followers or subscribers. So, like, you can't really hop into that the way you can do on Twitch. You can start uh, streaming on Twitch straight away. So YouTube's kind of, I feel like, is more... Uh, 
you know, here's a video that I made. I'm going to edit it up to a very high class standard. And here you can watch it in a bite sized junk instead of actually, okay, I'm going to watch somebody play live stream games for two hours on it. In saying that, though, whilst Twitch is extremely successful and I could sing its praises all day, there is certain features that the other broadcasting platforms did bring that I found really interesting and held a lot of promise. I know Mixer sort of hand in hand with Microsoft and it was more user friendly, I think, to the console player. As somebody who plays Xbox, quite a lot. I know that uh, Mixer allowed you a lot more options when it came to broadcasting your console. I tried broadcasting on Twitch a few times before with Xbox One and the sort of unique features that usually are provided via the desktop weren't really there. So Twitch is more adherent to the PC gamer and it makes sense because the serious streamer does use the PC because there's just so much more capacity in terms of technology. And I know that YouTube is great for personalities and it broadcasts a lot of live stuff, you know, like Nintendo Direct and all of the exclusives that have been going around. So there's a bit of a follow on the YouTube. It's unfortunate that Mixer didn't get the following that it really, in my perspective, deserved. They just needed to change their angle in terms of tackling Twitch the giant. And Twitch really has become a staple in modern gaming more and more people are becoming aware of this platform and more try to continue to break through that glass ceiling to stardom. You have the right material and the right dedication, you become a content creator on this platform with a massive following. However, it's not always the securest of jobs. So what happens when you become sick? You know, you need to stream to make money. What if your power goes out for a number of weeks? There are questions that streamers have to constantly ask themselves and how much is the risk compared to the actual reward? Is it worth it? That's what our streamers have to endure until Twitch started giving them contracts. They get paid by the platform to stream a certain amount of hours per week, like a normal job. It gives them security, it gives them a schedule, but do you think that most people have these contracts, Nicole? To my knowledge, I don't think a lot of people who aren't partners don't have the contracts, and I know Mixer really try to implement contracts and secure talent in a more consistent and probably secure way. But you have to understand that I know I'm going back here a little bit, but there's some people I watch consistently on YouTube that have made that transition into Twitch. For example, just a few to mention, uh, Girlfriend Reviews and Rachel and June, who wouldn't be you know, your go-to esports competitive gamer, but they have the security in that if they're going to be sick, they're able to record on YouTube and they casually stream. So they try and split themselves a few different ways. But with the likes of Ninja... I know that he's really successful in terms of merchandising and his brand, so he doesn't financially rely on other aspects. But for somebody who's trying to make or break and get that following, I'm sure it's a heavy slog. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of hours, a lot of um, commitment to the job. So it's not the easiest path, but probably the most rewarding when you get there. I think there's a lot of kind of examples here already. Like I was listening to the Misfits podcast there not too long ago, and they kind of talked about making transition from YouTube to Twitch. I know that Swagger Souls and Fitz normally do a lot of streaming on Twitch now, but they were originally YouTube stars. So to make that transition over there full time, they said, okay, yeah, I find it easier because, you know, I've built this following on YouTube. It's easier transition. Whereas, you know, if you are on Twitch and you try to make that transition to make YouTube videos, it's very hard because, you know, with YouTube, you've already established that audience. You know, they're used to your content. They understand your videos. But on Twitch, they're just used to, you know, watching you fully they enjoy spending time they enjoy spending you know 
two or three hours watching streams. So to take your best moments to condense it into maybe a 10 to 15 minute video, I think it's very hard to do unless like you're a massive, massive streamer like Tim the Tapman or Dr. Disrespect. One of the unique cases that I've seen that doesn't normally happen is that Sips, who we talked about earlier on, has made the transition from YouTube over to Twitch permanently. He got so sick of working with YouTube, he got so sick of demonetization that he said, enough is enough. I'm going to stop making these videos in my spare time. I'm going to stop editing it. Instead, I'm going to stream full time on Twitch and I'm just going to upload the streams into bite-sized chunks for people to watch and I'm just going to only upload highlights. And it's been very successful for him and he's got a massive following on Twitch. <laughs> he's, he's very, very successful and he's much happier doing so. Maybe that's because Twitch appreciates him more in terms of the way he's able to monetize his content. YouTube, um, I've heard, has been getting a lot of flack in terms of the way they demonetize. I think the demonetization stuff is a real issue. And I've seen a lot of content creators complaining about it, you know. They'll have a video, they'll make sure they bleep stuff out, and then it's doing really well for five hours, it gets demonetized, they have to put in a request, and then two hours later, or two days later even, it comes back and it's finally, you know, okay, you've been cleared of monetization. But those two days, they have missed out on valuable views, on valuable money, and I think that people kind of make more money on Twitch through donations and subs than they do from ad revenue on YouTube. I completely agree, and um, to a certain extent, you could almost say YouTube is too corporate and it doesn't encourage the creative. Well, with Twitch, you know, you're, everything's unscripted. It's not like a, a girlfriend reviews video, for example. Hey, don't knock girlfriend reviews, all right? I'll beat you up. <laughs> it's a good example, though, to be able to say, okay, they have nice scripted videos which you enjoy watching on their channel, but, you know, you go onto Twitch and, you know, it's kind of it's not as enjoyable as the videos because they're they're talking away, but we're so used to seeing them in a scripted form, you know. Yeah, but that's different mediums. Some people prefer the prep, and some people prefer the bloops, the accidental laughter, the odd uh, person who's engaged with them in the chat box has maybe made a funny comment. But you also have to be really careful with Twitch as well, because sometimes you get a lot of trolls. You do get a lot of trolls, indeed. And I think some people welcome the trolls, and other people get bogged down by them. And I think if you're beginning to be a Twitch streamer, and you're starting off, and you're doing that grind, you can come across a lot of trolls. And it's hard to kind of be like, okay, do I block this guy? Because if I do, it's going to go down one view. But then if I let him go on, he's going to chase people away. So those are decisions that you kind of have to make on the fly. Mm -hmm. I also really want to say that if it was going to be YouTube and Twitch, it would always be Twitch for me because I feel like there's more of a community. Like people are all there for one reason and one reason only, and that's to enjoy games. And they're able to contribute what they appreciate about the game, what they appreciate about, about the person who's streaming, and just be able to sort of, you know, socialize with people that have the same interests as them. YouTube can be quite subjective. It's like just in the eye of the beholder. This is the content. And I can say something mean or I can say something nice. And the person who's provided the content can acknowledge it, but they're never able to socialize. And I think that's what I enjoy about Twitch because it's got that social media aspect that's really missing in a lot of the creative content websites like YouTube. I completely agree. I feel like that live interaction with the audience is one of the things that is needed to engage and to, to kind of build your career. 
And I can't. I know we've been constantly going on about them, about Ninja and Shroud, but I just kind of want to touch on their move to Mixer because obviously Twitch became kind of concerned about losing other content creators. So in them moving, it kind of helped get better contracts for those currently on the platform and they kind of were offered a bit more money to stay. And I will always say this, I mentioned in other episodes as well, what Ninja has done allowed being a gamer essentially become a full-time job he modernized the concept for it and now kids in america are getting scholarships for college for playing fortnite he's been incredibly influential on the gaming industry and i feel like he's already left his legacy i honestly didn't know that kids in america could get scholarships in college just for playing fortnite that's absolutely insane ninja is an inspiration in a lot of different ways but i don't mean to take a negative turn a lot of the people that are successful in the likes of Twitch are really young and youthful. So is it a sustainable career when you think about it? I think that years ago, it wasn't a sustainable career to be able to say, I'm a gamer. But now with these contracts with Twitch, the fact that you're getting branding and you know merchandise, stuff like that, anybody can essentially become a streamer and have maybe a brand or organization behind them. That's what a lot of people used to do back in the early you know, uh, 2010s. Uh, you see, like, Ninja originally was part of a brand. Shroud was part of a brand. And I think uh, like a Myth as well. He's a, a streamer. He's still part of a brand. But they all had organizations behind them to kind of fund them until they got to a big enough thing where they were kind of bigger than these organizations and said, no, I can stand on my own two feet. I think it would be silly if you had maybe a thousand followers on Twitch and you stream two nights a week to think that you could leave your full-time job to be able to become a full-time content creator. You probably have to think about it logistically and financially and take the step back and go, where do I need to reach in terms of being a streamer before I could leave my job and do this full-time? Girlfriend Reviews actually left theirs whenever I think they got to over half a million. So... Um, Shelby was still the manager of her um, apartment building for over a year before they finally reached where they wanted to be. You have to hold a lot of admiration for people who sort of make that transition from full-time salary to full-time creative. I know you were talking about girlfriend reviews, but even if you look at the likes of podcasting, some of my favourite podcasters would be some of the true crime elements. And being able to sort of have the time to do a full-time job and then spend your evenings and weekends creating content. It's pretty insane. It has to be admired and appreciated that the content never lost its quality even when they made that transition. It's not sustainable to begin with. It's always a hobby. It's always a passion. But when they get to that point where they're producing high-quality content and getting a following, it only makes sense that their day job doesn't feel like a job and they start doing what it is that they love the most. And that's creating content. And you can see that in anything that they produce when it comes to Twitch, YouTube, or podcasting. Not sustainable to begin with. Not always financially accurate. But the people who are able to monetize this and take advantage of it are really financially savvy and very clever in the way they're able to shift. That could be said about anyone, especially Shroud and Ninja to begin with. It takes years upon years to build up an audience, but also it takes skill and determination to actually keep them entertained. So those people who you see on Twitch are there for a reason because they have built their legacy. It hasn't happened overnight and the amount of hard work they put in is phenomenal. 
and we kind of talked about all the the big Twitch streamers, but we have our own favourites to heart. So who are your favourite streamers that you like to watch on Twitch, Nicole? Okay, so my favourite streamers are Ray Nervais Jr. Um, I really got it into watching him with yourself. You're one of my favourite streamers <laughs> when you do create content. And I really enjoy watching Hypergraphia. He's a very small time streamer, but he's really engaging. He's super sweet. And the games he plays are really interesting. And then I really have enjoyed Girlfriend Reviews. They're still making their transition into live broadcasting. So hopefully they sort of find their footing. And I, I know I'm going on here, but I also really enjoy Rachel and June because Rachel's really entertaining to watch live. What about you? My favourite streamers are, as you said, Brownman, otherwise known as Ray Narvaez Jr. now on Twitch, I Ate Your Pie, Shroud, uh, Swagger Souls, who you all know and love from the Misfits, and a guy who is, is very small, but um, he's kind of big in my heart, Kuda87. He's a, He used to be a Rust streamer. He still does it every now and then. But uh, whenever I got big into Rust <laughs> uh, during university, he was one of the guys who I used to sit up and watch all the time. He's very, very entertaining. He's from Canada, and I would definitely go and give him a watch if you are into the likes of Rust or adventure games. So what do you think is next for the future of Twitch, Carl? Like, what features would you like them to implement in their platform? One of the things that they kind of already implemented is the integration with games. So viewers can kind of try and decide what happens in a player's game. Uh, I think they do it for Enter the Gungeon, and there's one or two Battle Royales as well. So, you know, chat gets the vote on what happens. So a Battle Royale game, for example, uh, I think it's in hyperspace they have this integration. So I'd like more games to implement that so it kind of shakes it up a wee bit. What about yourself? In terms of the stuff that I would like to see that would enhance my experience in Twitch, it's really interesting to be able to engage with the streamer, but I think it would be absolutely amazing if we were able to almost detail what's going to happen with the gameplay, like have a wee bit more of an interactive approach, a wee bit more decisions in terms, almost like a telltale game. We get to make the decisions on what the streamer's going to do. I don't, not over obviously take over because trollers would just monopolise the hell out of that, but if the likes of um, games were being streamed, we'd be able to sort of have more of a say in terms of the way the narrative's going. Streamers are able to add their own conditions to games. I remember watching somebody play Breath of the Wild once, and to make things interesting than normal gameplay, they give their chat an option through a plugin to say, what do you want me to do next? So we give them two options. So, like, for example, he wasn't allowed to use fast travel, or he wasn't allowed to use horses. So, of course, they chose he wasn't allowed to use fast travel, meaning they had to ride everywhere on the map by foot. So, say, for example... The interactive gaming part of that is it's already integrated into the game. They would vote on it and then he wouldn't have that option to be able to fast travel at all instead of having to do that himself, if that makes sense. Makes complete sense. Can I just throw a wing in your dinner? I have a very unpopular opinion here. Okay. We're talking about the future of gaming and it's hard really not to recognise the fact that not everything that they produce on Twitch is game related. Some of it is in real life streaming. And just from some of the stuff I was reading back in February... It would be negligent for me to acknowledge the fact that the second place in the roundup of most watched Twitch categories is actually in real life. A lot of individuals are taking part in just chatting categories and having person-to-person -person streaming. I genuinely understand why there might be an appeal, but I kind of think it digresses and goes away from what Twitch is truly about. And I kind of feel like um, in real life streaming um, can be hit and miss. 
there's some really random themes there that just don't hit close to heart with the themes that makes Twitch Twitch. If we go back in history, we're able to see that Justin.tv was before Twitch and what you're seeing now on the live channels and the music channels and the just chatting channels what originally was what Justin.tv was all about. That makes sense. I think that uh, Twitch evolving and having these categories back is trying to expand on the platform just beyond gaming. So we have musicians who are on there who are performing live shows and people will donate and say, oh, can you play this song tar or can you play this song in drums? And I think people are even like cooking shows and stuff are starting to get more popular. So it's kind of going beyond gaming and maybe it will become a separate entity itself. Yeah, I, that's a pretty interesting history lesson. But not to sort of go down the rabbit hole, but there's some dark webby elements, you know, the webcam girls and all the aspects that get banned. I don't really enjoy that aspect of Twitch. And I know they've sort of like really been clamping down on it, but within real life, you just don't know what it is that you're getting yourself into. I suppose that's the aspect that's to be understood in every live streaming element but i just think that unless there's a coherent theme or structure to what your channel's about there isn't really a need for it i completely agree with what you're saying there and i feel like twitch are starting to take that step to make our platform safer for younger people and to get rid of these so-called e-girls who are just milking people for money (laughs) and kind of to bring it back a wee bit uh, twitch has had an incredible influence on the gaming industry with the streaming of live sports and TV shows like Pokemon and esports tournaments, it really has shown that it's ready to take the next steps and to be the leader of online streaming services. I hope after listening to this episode, even if you don't watch Twitch, you give it a go. Now we're going to move into our Game of the Week showdown. Hello and welcome to the Game of the Week Showdown. The rules of the showdown are simple. Both players pick a game they support that fit the bill for a specific theme for this week. Both will then battle against one another in an animated debate to see which game comes out on top. The three categories to focus on are plot, mechanics, unique appeal. The winner picks the theme for the week and takes home the championship title for that week. Games used once may never be used again in upcoming showdowns. This week, our favourite LEGO game. I decided to take it back a wee bit old school this week and take you back in time to everybody's favourite franchise of games. Lego games. Is that really everyone's favourite video game? <laughs> I feel like it's not everybody's cup of tea, but the fact that Lego take on these big massive IPs and take their own twist on it, I thought it would be a very unique uh, idea for a showdown. No, I completely get you. I understand that. And a lot of people will go, Lego games? Is that not for like five-year-olds? But honestly, if someone put Lego, not even the game in front of me, I'd probably play with it. It's just user-friendly in every target audience. And the Lego games have really engaged with franchises in a unique way that brings adults in, you know, like Star Wars, Harry Potter. I could go on for days, but... It's that story in terms of the sort of toy mechanic that I think really gets people interested. And you kind of mentioned some franchises there, and I think there's only one or two LEGO games that are actually based on actual LEGO franchises, whereas we've gone with outside of franchises such as Harry Potter, Star Wars, or The Avengers. So what have you chosen, Nicole? 
So this week I have chosen Star Wars Lego the video game, also known as the first entry into the Lego video game series. Ooh. <laughs> Do you want to hear about the plot? Yeah, I'll hear about the plot. So in terms of the plot, Lego Star Wars the video game is a video game based on the Lego Star Wars toy line, which was really successful from the Lego group. It's non-canon adaption of the prequel trilogy, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, as well as bonus levels are based on the opening from A New Hope. So there's millions of chapters involved in it. It's quite a lengthy game to begin with and that's not even me getting started on the Skywalker saga and the rest of the games that followed after that. But just to mention a few, chapter one is the likes of the Phantom Menace, chapter two, the Invasion of Naboo, chapter three, Escape from Naboo, and chapter four, Mos Espa, Race, which was really fun. So it just kicks off from the prequels, which in the Star Wars franchise wasn't that popular, but they take a unique turn on it. And it was very successful. The video game actually did really well. And in 2018, the video game had sold over 6.1 million copies. And most of them were with the PlayStation 2 version of the game selling out the most. So what's the plot in yours? So I have chosen Lego Marvel's Avengers. And it's a Lego-themed action-adventure video game developed by Traveller's Tale and published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment for, you ready? The PlayStation 4, the PlayStation 3, PlayStation Vita, Nintendo 3DS, Wii U, Xbox One, Xbox 360, Macintosh, and Microsoft Windows. Well, I definitely know you picked one that's going to be a whopper. It was also released in 2016. <laughs> so it's actually the spin-off to Lego Marvel Superheroes, and it's the second installment of the Lego Marvel franchise. The game follows the plots of both the Avengers and the Avengers Age of Ultron. In the Eastern European country of Sokovia, the Avengers attack a Hydra facility commanded by Baron Wolfgang von Strucker in an attempt to retrieve Loki's old scepter. After an encounter with two of Strucker's test subjects, twins uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, they retrieve the scepter. However, as Iron Man is about to leave with it, Wanda manipulates his mind, prompting a series of flashbacks that explain how the Scepter ended up on Earth. So the gameplay then takes players through multiple Marvel movies such as Captain America, The First Avenger, Iron Man 3, Thor, The Dark World, Captain America Winter Soldier, and during those moments players are able to relive the iconic moments from the movies. You've been waiting this your whole life, haven't you? Uh, a wee bit, yeah. I kind of have chosen a, a game that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, you're a massive Marvel fanboy, so it only makes complete sense. Hopefully my mechanics outshine yours. But then again, you do have many years of Lego franchise material to enhance upon. So I really hope you don't try and cripple me here. So in terms of the mechanics of my game, obviously it's really hard to mention the Lego game without talking about the free play aspect. So in the Star Wars Lego video game, um, once you unlock a non-vehicle level, it has been cleared in story mode, the player was able to play through that level and gain in free play mode. So this is really good for people who are completionists. In this mode, players can choose to play through the level with their choice of unlocked characters randomly selected by the program based on their abilities. At any point, the player can rotate instantly between each of the chosen characters to access areas that are not accessible during the story mode. So there's no story cutscenes that appear in this mode. There's also probably a more unique mechanic because I'm pretty sure that one's in yours. There's Dexter Steiner. In the Star Wars Lego video game, uh, Dexter's Diner is the area where the player chooses what level to enter or they can enter the parking lot to view any vehicles whose parts they found and piece together, which is really taking it back to that sort of constructive element that 
LEGO's famous for, the parts to these vehicles are contained in 10 mini kit canisters, which are hidden throughout each level. Battles often take place in the parking lot between canon good and canon evil characters such as Jedi and Sith respectively. So it's kind of quirky, quite funny, um, and at the diner counter the player may purchase or enter codes to unlock extras. So that's a well-known mechanic. You've really picked a very uh, interesting franchise that maintains its mechanics, but maybe you'll knock me out for six. But did your game have a Game Boy Advance version? No, it didn't have a Game Boy Advance version, but it had a Nintendo 3DS version. <laughs> I know. I asked that in a rhetoric way. <laughs> but the Game Boy Advance version is really interesting that it behaves differently than the console versions. It is played from an isometric perspective with only one player who controls one of 15 playable characters through story scenarios across the prequel trilogy. So they're battling enemies, they're completing objectives, and they're getting from one place to another. The levels are not evenly divided across all three of the episodes, which is probably its downfall. Um, however, each level is divided into multiple sections that serve as checkpoints, which is pretty good for people who want to save. Um, so it's pretty interesting that the handheld mode had a bit of a different take on it. I'm not quite sure if that transition occurred in yours. But the mechanics, it's hard to mention the mechanics of mine without it being relevant to you because we're the forerunner of the Lego Star Wars series. So whatever mechanics we find it are going to be consistent. So that's probably one point that's going to be my downfall here. I think comparing my game mechanics to yours, they are very similar. Yours does a lot of things that are first and a lot of things that are never really brought in but are can still considered fun. Compared to other Lego Marvel superhero games and the Star Wars games at the very start, the Marvel Avengers utilises audio from six of the films which are adapted for the game and that includes voice and music which is kind of similar to Lord of the Rings, the Lego movie, the Lego movie video game, lego the hobbit and lego jurassic world so that's i think is the real main difference but i think i feel like my game kind of takes plot but yours would take mechanics if if you want to agree on that yeah let's agree on that okay so what is the unique appeal for me wanting to go and play lego star wars Okay, I believe that the LEGO Star Wars video games are probably some of the best cooperative video games because they allow collaboration between two people playing at the same time to solve elaborate and well-crafted puzzles. You're constantly making progress and you're helping out each other figure where to go, basically. What blocks to hit, what characters to talk to and which items you actually need. So, a steadfast appeal in most of the LEGO games... But from a visual perspective, certainly as a fan of Star Wars, it's interesting to see what some people might consider as a child's game be so appealing to so many different ages. I don't know if you're aware, but whenever people came up with the likes of Star Wars, they thought, what is going to be a good movie series that's going to sell amazing toys? If you watch some of the documentaries or toy documentaries that they have available on Netflix, you can see that Star Wars was tippity-top in the 1970s, the one that they wanted to hit. So it's interesting to see the likes of Star Wars, a well-known toy line, and Lego, a well-known toy line, collaborate. It seemed like the natural collaboration. And I think that's probably what's most appealing because individuals who maybe bought the Star Wars toys in the 70s or the 80s, whenever they were quite young, they're able to play it in the Lego format and they're able to share that sort of experience with their children or even the preteens. And I think it's really funny to see the good guys because um, they're really cute in Lego format and the evil folks are just adorable. Like, for example, there's Minnie Mall, there's Senator Palpatine, the bite-sized battle droids. So besides Star Wars being a pretty dark series, seeing it in this 
please don't hit me kawaii format is pretty interesting and it makes you unique in that aspect what about you what's your unique opinion hit me Years ago, whenever the PlayStation 2 was released, we got games released for every single movie franchise. We had an Iron Man game, we had a Hulk game, and even for the PS3, we had a Captain America game. But they did away with these licensed games. So understandably, it's not the same to play through a Lego game, but it's the closest thing that we can get. To be able to play through six movies and experience this universe is really what appealed to me. Being able to play as my favourite characters and feel like an Avenger. Plus the fact that we got some DLC with this game too, which expanded upon the later movies. We got Ant-Man DLC, Ains' Shield DLC, Doctor Strange DLC, and a Civil War DLC, which is one of the most iconic comic book stories ever written. And to be able to take the player through that journey with authentic audio straight from the movies and characters from the movie and TV universe reprising their roles makes us a perfect experience for any Marvel fan. But I feel like I'm going to have to give it to you this week because there's something you kind of said there and it's about the older generation who lived through Star Wars years ago are able to bring their kids into this. And it's not just um, kids who experience this, it's the older adults too who can share this with their, their kids now. And I think that's kind of what sold me on your game. Understandably, I'm a massive Marvel fan, but I can respect the fact that the older generation can relate to this game and it allows them to have the opportunity to share their experiences with the younger generation. Thank you. I will gratefully accept this week's Game of the Week. But however, I thought it was really interesting the way you said that Marvel hasn't had a massive in- entry into the video gaming world. So it's really exciting that the open access beta is coming out this weekend. So you have plenty to look forward to as a Marvel fanboy, which is exciting. Am I right? Yes, you are right indeed. My game of the week for next week is massively multiplayer online role-playing games. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Greycode. Greycode.ie is a website built by engineers for engineers. Regardless of whether you study engineering or have a simple interest, there is something for everybody. Learn how parking sensors work, expand upon your knowledge of electrical theory, or just browse the blog. Greycoat plan to add more electronic projects and information about engineering over the next few months, so stay tuned for more. That's greycoat.ie for more information. That's greycoat.ie. And now it is that part of the show where we answer your questions. If you have any questions, please send them into askplayer2pod at gmail.com. That's askplayer, the number two, pod at gmail.com so what questions we got this week Carl? so we have one question this week and it's from tony who wrote in two weeks ago how many games of fall guys have you won in terms of winner winner chicken dinner i got the crown yeah i have won exactly zero how many have you won <laughs> i have won exactly two games oh my god look at you king of the hell well done yeah i got to the final part I want to say four or five times, so I missed out on the crown three times, and then there was the hexagon level, which I have not been able to win at all. Well, tell you what, winners are not sinners. It's for the effort of trying. You have to admire me for actually trying my very goddamn best. You've gotten a lot of practice in the the little quiet hours of the day, haven't you? Yes, I have. But maybe you will pick up your first win, hopefully by the next episode. If you cheat for me, cough, cough, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes, I'll play on your account and get you a win. (laughs) Yeah, boy! Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Enter Player 2. Make sure to visit us on all our social medias. Links to our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram can be found in the link description. Please be sure to subscribe and you will never miss a show. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a rating and a review. 
plug in and join us again at Enterplay 2. See you again next week. Thank you for joining. Bye. Bye.